This morning, I want to talk about what it means to have unshakable joy. We're going to be looking at Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. If you were with us last week or tuning in online, we were introduced to Habakkuk as this minor prophet who was a temple prophet by his occupation. A temple prophet would wait in the temple for the people of God to come and ask questions concerning God. And then it was the job of a temple prophet to go to God on behalf of the people and ask these questions and hopefully get an answer. Well, the context, historically, we have two kingdoms. We have a northern kingdom, Israel, and we have a southern kingdom, Judah. Habakkuk is in the southern kingdom, and Habakkuk doesn't like what he sees. He sees a bunch of people who profess to believe in the creator God, but do not live according to his word or according to his law. He sees a bunch of people in Judah that are indifferent to God and indifferent to his word. And he goes to God and pleads with him, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about this? And Habakkuk is starting to get fed up. And he says in chapter one, how long, O Lord? And he finally gets the answer. And it's not the answer he was waiting for or expecting. The answer he eventually gets is this. It's going to actually get worse before it gets better. And I'm actually going to use your enemy, the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, to destroy you in order to wake you up. That's not the answer that he's looking for. But he does give Habakkuk this promise that in the midst of devastation and disaster, I will do something new. I will restore my kingdom and my glory to my people. But it's in the midst of devastation and disaster, but with the promise of God promising to do something remarkable that Habakkuk in chapter 3 responds with this prayer. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. This is the very word of God. I hear, this is Habakkuk speaking. He's heard the word of God. And my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes my, me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. And on this Lord's day, the grass continues to wither and the flower continues to fade. But the word of our Lord, no, the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. I want to ask you an honest question. Are you filled with joy? Not a happiness based on your current circumstances. Not a happiness that can be gained and acquired through the things of this world. A genuine, unshakable joy that Habakkuk exhibits here. Do you have this joy? Habakkuk, as I said, knows 
that this is the inevitable. Devastation and disaster is coming. There's nothing that can stop it. It, Habakkuk, when he reads and when he calls out to God in verse 17, that the trees won't produce figs, that there will be no more olives, there are no cattle, this is what he's admitting. We are about to go into a season of utter devastation, economic, social, and cultural ruin. But in the midst of it all, I will choose to rejoice. Can you actually have this type of joy that Habakkuk exhibits? Is it even possible? Let's study Habakkuk 3 together this morning. The first thing I want to point out in this passage, this idea of otherworldly unshakable joy, we see in verse 19 that this unshakable joy of Habakkuk is dependent solely on God's strength. Unshakable joy is dependent on God's strength. And that is what makes this joy so counterintuitive. It is not based on your strength. Your joy is not based on you having a stiff upper lip. It is not a challenge for you to dig deep that there's something inside of you in order to find the strength to persevere. In verse 19, this is what Habakkuk realizes. God is my strength. Not God, you will provide strength. Not God, you offer strength. God, you and you alone. When everything else has been ripped away, the figs off the tree and the cattle out of the farms and no, no more produce for our land, economic, social, and cultural ruin, when everything's been ripped away, you and you alone are my strength. And what does he say? He uses this analogy of a mountain He says, you make my feet like the deer. You make me tread on my high places. The high places all throughout the Old and New Testament were places of refuge. And it was the place where you met with God. Whether it was Mount Sinai or the Mount of Transfiguration or the Mount Olives, Mountain of Olives, all those places were symbolic of what? The place where man would meet with God, receive a word from God. But it was the place where they would experience the favor and joy of God. And what Habakkuk is revealing to us is that it is possible when everything gets turned upside down to experience the joy in the high places. But you don't get there according to your strength. You get there according to the strength of God. And why? He says you need feet like the deer. What's he talking about there? In other translations, it might say you have the, the hind's feet. What is a hind? A hind is a female deer that the commentaries tell us have feet like suction cups. No matter what the path, no matter what the terrain, they will not fall, they will not stumble. What's Habakkuk teaching us here? According to his strength and not yours, that in in your trial and in the midst of your adversity, you need something you don't have. You need feet like a deer that will cause you not to stumble that will cause your feet to be firmly planted, that no matter what the situation is, no matter how treacherous or dangerous or hard the pathway is, that it is possible to get on top of the mountain to experience unshakable joy with the Father, but you can't get there according to your strength. It requires us to be utterly dependent upon him 
the source of our true joy. So Habakkuk teaches us in verse 19 that unshakable joy is only possible when we are dependent on God's strength and not ours. But this passage also teaches us that unshakable joy can actually be experienced in the darkest hour. Look at verse 16. Habakkuk says, I hear and my body trembles. Habakkuk is admitting, this is my darkest hour. I'm finally hearing what is going to happen to us and what is going to happen to Judah. And it causes me to tremble. Literally in the Hebrew, the body trembling means your, your, your bowels are trembling. It's not a pretty picture. And then he goes on to say, my lips quiver at the sound and rottenness enters into my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. What Habakkuk is saying is I now know what is going to happen and now I know I'm entering my darkest hour of life. And it's causing me internally and externally to come undone. My body is quaking and trembling. My lips are quivering. But even in the midst of the darkest hour, what does Habakkuk say? At the end of verse 16, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. I will quietly wait. If you have a Bible, underline and circle that idea of quietly waiting. It literally means peace and rest of the soul. Habakkuk is saying, actually, in the midst of the adversity, in the midst of your torment, you can have a soul that is at rest, a peace that comes outside of you, that guards your heart and guards your mind. See, this is counterintuitive to those that don't know God. You see, it's one thing to have joy before adversity. It's, an, it's one thing to have joy after adversity. Habakkuk is saying in the midst of the adversity, while you are trembling inside and out, you can experience this joy. You can have a quietness and a peace of the soul. It means that your joy does not just come in the good circumstances. You are able to say, on my worst day, I will still wait. I will still wait on the Lord. True joy is found not after, but true joy for those that know God can be found right in the midst. Those of you that know our family story, know that we lost our precious daughter, Lily, about three years ago. She died on October 22nd, 2017. And listen to me. God was good and God was faithful on October 21st, and God was good and God was faithful, faithful on October 23rd. An unshakable joy in the worst, an unshakable joy in the midst, only available for those that know God and believe that God, you are faithful. God, you are steadfast. And only the children of God like Habakkuk can wake up every day, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your lot in life, and say, I will have joy even in the midst an unshakable joy, unshakable joy dependent not on your strength but God's strength, an unshakable joy in your darkest hour. And lastly, we learn that this unshakable joy is not a feeling, it's not an emotion. Unshakable joy is a discipline. Look at verse 18 with me in chapter 3. Habakkuk says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
You see, what Habakkuk is revealing is the discipline and the work and the practice of rejoicing. He doesn't say it's just a feeling. He doesn't say it's just an emotion. He says, I will do the hard work of practicing rejoicing, this discipline of rejoicing. Now listen to me. It does not take discipline and work to earn God's favor and grace. We believe that we earn God's favor and grace alone through the unconditional love of God through Jesus Christ. But once you are saved and once you are redeemed, evidence of your redemption and evidence of that grace is a life that is constantly practicing the discipline of rejoicing. And how does Habakkuk practice the discipline of rejoicing? Well, in the passage right before the passage we read today, verses 2 through 15, Habakkuk goes back. What does he go back to? If you have your Bibles, look at verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you. What's the report? It's the report of centuries of God's faithfulness. And in verses 2 through 15, Habakkuk goes back to the faithfulness of God from one generation to the next. He recalls stories of the Exodus. He recalls stories of the wilderness. And story after story, Habakkuk is practicing the discipline of going back to God and going back to his faithfulness to be reminded, God, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I need to go back to your report. I need to go back in time and be reminded, God, you did it then, and I believe that you will do it again. And that, and only that, will cause me to have an unshakable joy. That is why we are constantly pushing you as a congregation into God's word, not just on Sunday morning, but all throughout the week, because every single day you need to be reminded because you and I have spiritual ADD. And we need to go back to the Word of God and be reminded, God, look at your faithfulness from one generation to the next. And that's what Habakkuk had to do, the discipline of repetition, the discipline of remembering God as he's revealed to us in his word, and be reminded, yet, you'll do it again. Now, Habakkuk does not go back. My wife, Jen, pointed this out to me this week, and I think it's such an important reminder. Habakkuk does not go back to be nostalgic. We can often go back in time and say, those were the good old days. Those were the glory days. Habakkuk goes back in order to believe, God, you worked through death and devastation and disaster before, and I am going to sit back and watch you do it again. And I will rejoice in bearing witness to the God who brings life out of death. I will rejoice and find great delight in watching you bring utter devastation only to bring this back to life again. God, you've done it before, and I'm trusting that God, you will do it again. And it causes him to rejoice. I've often shared this with you, but as we went through the transition of pastors here at Coral Ridge. That was a difficult season in the life of our church. And I remember often my wife and I just thinking about life and ministry and this great church and often wondering, were the greatest days of this church behind? God, are you done here at Coral Ridge? And my wife and I were constantly taken back 
as we transitioned into the role of, of pastor here at this church, we were brought back to the early days of this church not just to be nostalgic, but to be reminded, God, if you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, God, if you did a great work 60 years ago, we are believing and trusting that you will do a great work yet again, and we will find our delight and our joy through a difficult time in sitting back and watching you do your great work here yet again. Restore my joy. Restore our joy through the discipline of repetition and remembering, God, you did it before, and we're trusting by faith that you will do it again. And surely for Habakkuk, he would do it again. Only it would take centuries later, it would take time, but eventually it would be through the story and the coming of Jesus Christ that Jesus would eventually come to fulfill all of the promises and all of the words that were given to the prophets in the Old Testament. And it would be Jesus who would come and do the unthinkable in order to restore our joy as a people. Because you see, it was on the night that he was betrayed, as he was sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, shaking and trembling in his darkest hour his lips quivering, and he asks God, would you let this cup, this cup of disaster and devastation, would you let this cup pass from me? And Jesus gets utter silence. But it was through the silence of God for Jesus, and only through the utter silence of God towards his son, that you and I can have any hope of having a joy in the midst of the storm, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of this world and in our lives. An unshakable joy. God, Jesus, lost the joy of the fellowship of the Father so that we, by faith alone, can forever have the promise of unshakable joy. Do you know this, Jesus? Do you know him? Not just know things about him, but do you know him? There are many people, and I trust some here this morning and watching online, that are living a joyless life and attempting to chase everything under the sun in order to acquire the joy that their heart longs for. And in a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity for the very first time you can experience a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith alone. You see, the Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you simply believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible also tells us this about Jesus, that he comes, and he says, this is the reason I came, so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The life that you've always longed for, the life that you never thought was possible, this life of unspeakable joy, even on your worst day, can be possible through me because of the cross. Alan Gardner was an Anglican missionary in the 19th century. Alan Gardner spent most of his life doing missions work in, throughout the continent of Africa and South America. His last missionary journey was to the southern tip of South Africa to a town called Tierra del Fuego at the very bottom of South America. 
In the 19th century, I believe it was 1859, he and nine other missionaries were dropped off with the promise that the supply ship would return in a matter of two or three weeks. After a month, that ship never returned. After two, three months, no sign of the supply ship. One by one, the missionaries died, either by starvation or through disease, until one missionary was left, Alan Gardner. And as he was in his final hours of life, dying by himself on the shore, he wrote these words in his journal that were found by his side. He recorded two things. The first was Psalm 34, verse 10. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then he recorded these words in his journal. I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. And then he died. Who says that? You're starving to death. You, there is no help in sight. You've lost all of your partners in ministry and you're crying out and saying, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. No, we are overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God when things are going right and when things are going well and when things are on the up and up. This guy didn't get it. Or did he? No, he got it exactly right. You see, when the bottom falls out and your life gets turned upside down on your worst day and in your worst season in life, there is one that will forever remain. Do you know him? Do you know this Jesus? Listen, every human heart longs for the end of the story to be a joyous conclusion. And you will spend money and you will sell your soul in order to have a joyous conclusion to your life. But make no mistake, if that story, your story, is not transformed by this story of Jesus who lived and died and was raised from the dead, there will be no hope. Only Jesus and the story of Christianity allows you to live with the assurance and the confidence that the conclusion of your story will be a joyous one. Brothers and sisters, find joy in the one thing that can never be taken away from you. Find joy in such a way that you can wake up regardless of your circumstances and announce, I am overwhelmed by a sense of the goodness of God.